more friendly than others. Half of you are like going over all the way back over here because you went that far, but that's good. Um, all right, before we get started, let me go ahead and introduce myself. Uh, my name is Buchanan Jackson. I'm Life Group's pastor here at Temple, and I'm not the pastor of this church. So if this is your first time here, please come back next week or come back Sunday so you can meet our pastor. He is um, actually uh, preaching a, um, y'all going to kill me, okay? Um, he's actually preaching a baccalaureate at uh, Good Hope for Good Hope High School today, uh, tonight. So um, y'all definitely be praying for him as you're hopefully praying for me uh, during this whole entire time. Um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's in your New Testament, kind of towards the back. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. Okay, so come on back the other way. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And, uh, and I, I'm a little dry tonight, so um, hey, Joe Evelyn, do you mind uh, getting me a, a bottle of water? I got a dollar. The only dollar I got to my name, but there we go. All right, if you can hand me out with a dollar, I'd appreciate that. Or a dollar, excuse me. Help me out with the water. Okay, that's when you pour it, you can't even talk. Um, but he's going to help me out with the water real quick. And he's a good man for that. Okay, if you're in 1 Thessalonians chapter, no, excuse me, number 2, say amen. Amen. All right, we're going to start in verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, but even, even that, that we had suffered before and were, sh- and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanliness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Let's read chapter, uh, verse number four again. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust. Say that again. Put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I, 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 if I'm being honest, this is, I, I'm not preaching this message to, I'm preaching, I'm preaching it with. You're preaching to me as much as you're preaching to them, Lord God. And Lord, this is a very convicting message, Lord God. But Lord God, I know that something that can change our lives if we put it down deep in our soul and act on what your word says. So Lord God, I just pray right now that you would give me the words to speak, Lord God. The words you don't want me to speak, let them not come out. But the words that you do want me to speak, Lord, let them come out loud and clear. And Lord, I pray for the people, Lord God, that they would have open minds, open ears, but most importantly, God, open hearts. Lord, we love you. We thank you. for all these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, if I'm being honest, uh, this verse, and I don't know if, if y'all ever read your Bible and you start looking at things, and, and there may be that one verse that kind of jumps out at you, and you just can't shake it. There's just something there about that verse that you just need to know more about. And for me, this verse has been that verse for about a year. I read this over a year ago, and I could not get out of my mind, put in trust with the gospel. Put in trust with the gospel. Put in trust with the gospel. And, and, and as, the, as it kept on going in my mind, and God started showing me things and showing me things and showing me things, and then lo and behold, here it is, we are here tonight, and it's a message. And, um, and so I started ta- thinking about, in our society, and, and, and where we see trust, and, and in, in some way where we see in the sense of trust in, in God and how that um, goes about. 
I'll, I'll read you a little, a little bit of history right here. For all the history buffs in here, this is going to be the greatest two minutes of your life. For all the people that don't like history, this is going to be the worst <laughs> two minutes of your life. Okay, I love history, so I'm going to eat this up for the next two minutes. It says, from the Treasury Department records, it appears that the first suggestion that God be recognized on U.S. coinage can be traced to a letter addressed to the Secretary of Treasury from a minister in 1861. An act of Congress approved on April 11, 1864, authorized the coinage of two-cent coins upon which the motto first appeared. The motto was omitted from the, first, from the new gold coins issued in 1907, causing a storm of public criticism. As a result, legislation passed in May 1908 made this phrase mandatory on all coins on which it previously appeared. Legislation approved July 11, 1955 made the appearance of this phrase mandatory on all coins and paper currency of the United States. By act of July 30, 1956, this phrase became the national motto of the United States. And they're going to put a graphic up behind me, hopefully. They're going to put a graphic up behind me. And that phrase is... In God we trust. In God we trust. So that was one thing that made me kind of pique my interest about when we're talking about God and we're talking about trust and what it meant to, to put in trust of something. Um, Joe, you got my water? You good man, Joe. You'd think he would bring it up as soon as he got it, but no, he had to hold it down to me. I had to ask for it. Um, Dasani. Tastes like dirt, by the way. I'm glad we have Dasani, but I'm an Aquafina kind of guy. My mom likes that Fiji water. Now, that's expensive water, but, and, and it may be good. I've never tried it. I, I, I remember I'm poor. <laughs> oh, boy. That's good. Not really, but I'm, I'm making y'all think it's good, okay? It's, it, it makes my throat wet. That's about all it is. Um, and it's gotten better, but when Dasani first came out, it tastes like dirt. It was called mineral water because there were actual minerals, dirt minerals inside that water, um, I think. But it, it's getting better now. But I, I used Joe, and, and, and Joe, you played along really well. But I, I, that was my actual dollar, so I want you all to know that. Um, but I asked, um, asked Joe to get me that. And what I did was I took my dollar. And I put my dollar in trust of Joe, right? And I told Joe, I said, look, I'm going to give you this dollar, and I'm trusting you (laughs) that you will go get me a bottle of water and actually bring it back to me so I can have it later. Now, Joe could have done a lot of things with that dollar. Not much, (laughs) but he could have done some things with that dollar. Um, If I give you a $100 bill, you probably wouldn't see you again, but... um, (laughs) But with that dollar, he could have done a lot of things. But what did I, I, I put in trust my dollar. I entrusted him with that dollar, for, and I had a specific purpose and a specific plan for him to do with that dollar. And thankfully, Joe's a really honest, nice guy, and he actually went and bought my water. I hope you bought that water. I hope you didn't go steal the water and then put the dollar in your pocket, but I don't think that happened. If that did, we can talk later, okay? <laughs> there is an altar. These altars are always open, okay? Um, but... Uh, I entrusted that dollar, and he, get me, he got me a bottle of water. So I entrusted something. Now, in, in a more serious note, in a more serious note, um, I was thinking about the fact of entrusting um, my heart, entrusting my heart. I, um, I've been married to a, a wonderful woman for almost 14 years now, 14 years this July, uh, July 29th. Please get me a gift. I'm okay with that. Um, 
preferably something that we both use because my, my birthday is July 10th. That's when you can get me something just for me. But July 29th, y'all can, y'all, y'all can uh, get some for both of us. Um, but at, on that day, July 29th, 2000, my wife entrusted her heart to me. She put her heart in my trust. And, and I, my, my heart to her, I put it in trust. And there's, some, there's several things that I could have done with this heart, right? Um, I think one of my responsibilities is to protect this heart. I have to protect that. Make sure that that heart doesn't get hurt or broken. I have to protect that heart. Um, I, can, I, I can sometimes guard that heart. Maybe I, I need to sit it over here and just make sure, not just protect it, but I need to really kind of guard that heart to make sure it's okay. There are times when, when I can uh, cherish that heart. Nice to cherish the heart of your, of your wife, right? Cherish that heart. There are times, though, that sometimes I can, I can put this heart over here and I can just ignore her heart and not even think about it. Think about my own desires, my own wishes, just to totally ignore her heart completely, right? And there are times when I can break her heart. I was supposed to fall, but it didn't. But I can break her heart, and I can destroy her heart. Her heart has been entrusted into me, and I have a responsibility with her heart. If you're married, say amen. So in God we trust, entrusting maybe, maybe our money or, or, or a task to someone else, or even entrusting our heart in marriage, which is, which is very important. But Paul says in our verse that we've been put in trust with the gospel. We've been put in trust with the gospel. So what does that mean? So what, what okay, so what has to be done with the gospel? There are three actions. How many? Three, three actions that every Christian should take because we've been put in trust with the gospel. Somebody asked about outlines tonight. I don't have outlines. I have three things. They're one word apiece, okay? So hopefully we can, we can have these um, in, in a right order and we'll be good to go. But what does it mean to really, you've been put in trust with the gospel. You've been put in trust with the gospel. Here's number one, number one. We're, we're put in trust with the gospel the first, the first action is we need to live. Say that with me. We need to live. We need to live. We need to live. Now, what exactly does that mean? Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your God, your Father, which is in heaven. Again, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. The first thing we have to do is we have to live the gospel. We have to live the gospel. Now, what, what exactly does that mean, live the gospel? Now, obviously, we understand, that our, our majority of us understand, that the gospel is the, the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That, that God sent his only son to this world to forgive us for our sins, and died on the cross for our sins, and rose again, okay? But it's not just the fact that the gospel is an event, but the gospel is a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. So when I talk about live, when I talk about live, and I'll say this, people see you before they ever hear you. Amen. People see you before they ever hear you. I've seen a... Okay. Can somebody help Carla to know when to laugh and when not to laugh? 
Y'all wouldn't do this when preacher was here. It's okay. Don't laugh at the wrong times if you, if you don't want to be. Nobody's going to laugh for the rest of the time because they're worried I'm going to point them out. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but in the sense of, of, of living and, and the person of Jesus Christ. And, and the question I'm asking is the sense, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, but when, and, and kind of a, in, a, in a way of reflection, a way of reflection, is am I living a life that brings people closer to Christ? Am I living a life that brings people closer to Christ? Um, Christ is forgiving. He forgave me of my sins. That's part of the gospel. But in a sense, when somebody, somebody sins against me, do I show forgiveness? When, when, when I'm hurt, when I'm hurt, do I show forgiveness? Um, when somebody's done me wrong, do I want to turn the other cheek or do I want revenge? Do, do, I, do, I, want to, do I want to say hate and gossip about individuals? Or do I want to be kind with my words? i got to live the gospel out. Um, I, the first ever mention of the word Christian in the Bible is at the Church of Antioch. It's in the book of Acts. Now, in the, in the original connotation, it was actually a derogatory term. What they were saying is, is they were looking at, and obviously the church was persecuted like crazy at the beginning. And what the people were there, looking at those people at the Church of Antioch, they were saying they're like that Christ. They're like that Christ. They're like that Christ. And saying in a derogatory term. But as, as, as it's evolved over the years, Christian has become a very positive term. But the word Christian has never changed its meaning. The word Christian means Christ-like. So we call ourselves Christians, so our attitudes and our, and our actions should be like, should be like Christ, right? Because we are Christ-like. I think sometimes we're guilty of, of looking at Christianity. Christianity is a religion. No, Christianity is a lifestyle. Christianity is, I'm, I'm, I'm being Christ-like. We had a discussion in our life group this past uh, Sunday night, in, uh, and just talking about revelation and all this kind of stuff, and how does it motivate you and things of that nature. And we talked about how um, some, somebody in that room was actually, you know, when they were lost, and people would try to talk to them about the gospel, whatever that, and the first thing they said was, why do I want something that I don't see as helping you or making a difference in your life? And, and in a sense, I'll say this. We're all sinners. I'm going to mess up. I promise you. I'll, I mess up, on, mess up on a daily basis. I messed up yesterday. I'm going to mess up uh, today. I'm probably going to mess up tomorrow. I'm probably. It is going to happen. I'm going to mess up, okay? That is, that, that's part of it. But in the same sense, too, in the sense of are we making choices that make sure when somebody sees it that, you know what, that's, that's what I want. That's what I desire, you know, does, does somebody look at your life and look at my life, and, and do, they, they, do they see despair or do they see hope? Do they see, do they see someone who's, who, who has um, a sense of, of, of hatred, or do they have someone that has a sense of, of love and of joy? Does it seem like everything, every time something bad happens, they want, they want to blame everybody else? Or are they somebody that says, you know what, Christ has a plan. God has a plan in my life, and he's going to see me through. Now, look, this is easy preaching, hard living. And I'm not saying we, shouldn't be, we should go around saying that everything's wonderful. We, it's okay to, to have our burdens out there. But if always our time is always to be, to be negative and or to run away from God and or to, to live one way on Sunday morning and Wednesday night but try to live a different way on, on Monday morning and on, and on Thursday night. Right. We, we've, got, in order, we've been put in trust with the gospel. When Christ came and Christ, and Christ ascended, he said, I have plan A. And everybody said, what's plan B? He said, I don't have one. You're plan A. You're it. We are it. We. 
We are it. We are plan A in, in Christ's book, okay? So again, just to think about, am I living a life that brings people closer to Christ? Am I living a life that brings people closer to Christ? So the first action, the first action that we talked about, we need, when it comes to gospel, we put it to us, the first thing we need to do is live. we need to live. We need to live the gospel, okay? The next one is, the next one is, is we need to invite. Say that with me. We need to invite, invite okay? What was our first one? Live. Second one is? Goodbye. Okay, I promise y'all, y'all can remember this when it's all said and done, okay? Live and invite. Luke 14, 23. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Again, I'll read that. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that the ha- my house may be filled. So let's talk about inviting a little bit. It seems like every single message I ever get an opportunity, I talk about inviting. It's so, so important that we invite. Now, when a sense of invite, I am saying about invite to the church. And, and the reason why I say that in, in the reference of the gospel is when they come here, and hopefully everybody can say amen to this, when they come here, do they clearly hear the gospel? Yes or no? Amen. Amen. They do. Okay? So it's our, our responsibility to that. And, and I'll say this. We, we just had Easter, and, and everybody was pumped up, excited, because that's a great opportunity to invite somebody to Easter. And hopefully everybody invited people to Easter. And then we have Christmas, and that's the second greatest opportunity to get people to, to church is to invite them on Christmas. But the question is, is are we consistently inviting people to the gospel? Are we consistently inviting people to the gospel? Because I'll say this, in the sense of Easter is, Easter is a time, Christmas is a time, but we need to be consistently inviting people to hear the gospel. Now, some of y'all will come back and say, you know what? We've had to do this, um, this whole overflow in the rock deal. Uh, so you're telling me we need to keep on inviting people even though we're out of room? Absolutely. We need to keep on inviting people even if we're out of room. And what's so exciting is, um, you know, as we, as we put that out there, that, that um, I think a couple weeks ago there were over uh, 100, or excuse me, uh, almost 200 people between the three services that were overflow, and we had spaces in this building. Guess what we want to do? We want to fill them up. The, uh, one thing I've loved about this church, and I, I'm on staff, um, but I've been here 10 years um, for the majority of that, is just a member. And serving in different capacities, but as a member of this church. What I've loved about this church is that we have, we have never allowed the obstacle of we're out of room stop us from reaching people for the gospel. We've always been willing to do different things. When we had one service and we filled it up, where did we go? We went to two services. We filled two up, where did we go? Three services. Now, I hope we don't go to four because we've tried that before. But if we have to do that, we will. We will, okay? We've got to be consistently inviting people to hear the gospel. So that's one of the actions. The first action is live. live. The second action is invite. 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 Live, invite. And I'll say it we have to really live is is is, is tough. It is a tough one. Um, and, and invite, I think, is probably the, one of the easier ones to do. Um, but I will say the invite becomes very difficult if you're not living. Because what you, what you're doing is you're telling them one thing and doing another. And so what you want to do is you want to, be, and, and I'll say this, you want to be up front. Hey, I'm going to mess up, you know, and, and I'm not expecting you to be perfect, but it, it's really hard when we go out there and we live a certain way, we gossip, we, we, um, we hate people, we 
um, do things that are contrary to what we really should be doing, and then we want to turn around and go, and by the way, I want to invite you to our Eastman program. They may take your invitation, but I promise you, they're laughing like Carla laughed at me earlier in their, in their mind and in their heart. They're saying, you're kidding me, all right? <laughs> you really, you're living like that, and you want me to come to your church. Um, and then they'll say, like, if they're, they're a bunch of people like you, then I don't want to go there. Well, guess what? <laughs> when you get here, they're all broken anyway, so. Preacher says the thing, you know, somebody says the church is full of hypocrites, and then and they say, yep, you're right, and there's room for one more. <laughs> okay, talking about something else. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Sorry. If I offended anybody, it's okay. It was preacher's joke, not mine, so you <laughs> can do that. All right, so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna live the gospel. We're going to live it out. We're going to invite people to hear the gospel. But here's kind of the, the meat of the message, the meat of the message. So we live, we invite, and then finally we're going to engage. Say that with me. Engage. Okay. What was the first one? Live. live. Second? Invite. And then? Engage. Engage. Okay. Um, let's look at some, we're going to look at several verses, and I think it's important to notice, sometimes the most important, when, when somebody's um, near their death or about to leave, it seems like they want to say the most important things. They don't, they don't just talk about the weather or just talk about anything. They want to say the most important things. They want to, when, when somebody's on, on their deathbed, they want all their family around to be able to say, let me, before, before I pass away, I want, you, I want to tell you this, these fat last few little things. And, and Jesus, obviously, you know, we know that he, he rose again, but he did leave this earth. And he did have some final things that he said to his, to his apostles and to his followers. And in all three Gospels, um, excuse me, I know there's four, sorry. And in and, and the first three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, he says the same thing at the end of every single one of them. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, he basically says the same thing. And so what were those things? Matthew 28, 19, and 20. What's the first word on there? What's the first word? Go. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to deserve all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Okay, so we know this as the Great Commission, right? Jesus said to his followers and to us as a whole as the church to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, teaching them to preserve all things. Okay, then we go into Mark, one of the final things he says, Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel to every creature. And that word preach means to proclaim. I think sometimes we use the word preach and we think that's what happens up here. No, it's our responsibility to preach the gospel. It's our responsibility to proclaim the gospel. And that's what Jesus said to his followers. So we're in Matthew, he says to go and to teach all them. In Mark, he says to go and preach the gospel. And then we look in Luke 24. Luke 24, 46 and 47. And he said unto them, thus it is written, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Basically, here's the gospel. And that repentance and the remission of sins should be should be preached in his name among all nations beginning in Jerusalem, beginning in Jerusalem. So he said, here's the gospel, and with the gospel, I just told you that I suffered, I rose again for repentance and remission of sins, and that should be 
That should be preached. That should be proclaimed. That should be proclaimed. And then in Acts 1.8, before, right before he's, he ascends up into heaven, Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And it's our responsibility to engage people with the gospel. It's our responsibility to engage people with the gospel. Now, what do I mean by engage? What do I mean by engage? Um, some people, some people, not everybody, but some people are called to be that person that walks around with a track. Every single person they see, they give it to them. They tell them the gospel. Here's what it is. Lead, it, lead them in prayer and or, you know, run them off, whatever it may be. They're just, that's their, their, their ministry, okay? Um, there are people that are called to be on that street corner and, and to, to preach hellfire, brimstone. Jesus is coming back and you need to do that. And some people are called to that. And if that's what God is calling you to do, be obedient and do that. But I think a lot, I think for us in our culture, um, it, that that is not as effective as it used to be. And I don't know if y'all have kind of come in contact with that. Um, not, this, not to say that God can't do that, but I don't think it's as, as effective. But what I mean is when I'm talking about engage, is are we looking for opportunities to engage and talk with people about the gospel? Are we looking for those opportunities? So, so when, when a situation comes up and you have an opportunity to talk about what God did in your life, are you taking that opportunity to say that? Um, I, I had two situations. Excuse me, one. Um, and I'll tell you on a live. I, I missed it, but I'm going to come back to it. Um, I had a situation when I was a uh, uh, senior in high school. Senior in high school. And we were, we were, it was towards the end of the year. And so, um, actually, I do have two, two stories. Um, it was at the end of the school year, and so not, not much is going on. If any of y'all are still in school or know about it, um, my kids, my kid came home with a calendar of all the fun things they were going to do for the next three weeks, okay? Um, not a lot going on in the month of May in the school. Um, so basically, it was kind of a free day. And there was somebody, we were talking about church and, and about spiritual stuff with one of my other Christian friends. And this girl um, that I went to high school with, graduated with me, said, Y'all keep talking about this Jesus Christ thing. What's that all about? Bingo. Here we go. That class is about 45 minutes long, and, um, and I proceeded to take the next 45 minutes and tell her everything about the gospel and how great and wonderful um, Jesus Christ was. And she didn't get saved that day. Um, I'm still with her, friends with her on Facebook. Um, I don't know if she ever, ever found Christ, but it was an opportunity to share Christ. And I took that opportunity. Um, we, my wife and I met in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, right, as soon as I graduated, I, I moved to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I uh, worked at a Christian retreat center. And there was these two boys. Um, do you remember this? There were these two boys um, that would kind of hang around and play basketball all the time. And, and they were just, they, they'd come. We didn't know where they lived. They would just come around and hang out and play basketball. And a lot of times the staff would, would play some basketball in between or even whatever. Well, it was, it, there was a pool there, and there was a, um, just different little activity and stuff like that. And so one day, we're, we're by the pool. Kid, the kid walks up to me, and he says, um, you know, uh, what, what's this whole Christian retreat center thing deal? And so I told him about it and what was going on. And, and I'd actually been reading the book, uh, In His Steps, great book, by the way, old book, great book, In His Steps. And, and I just started talking to him about some things. And, and 
probably 30 minutes in the conversation, he says, now what am I supposed to do about this? I said, boy, that's a great question. And I got to lead that person to Christ by the pool in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, First person I ever led to Christ my whole entire life was at that moment. But just a simple question gave me an opportunity to engage somebody with the gospel. And I I know most of y'all would say, "I'm I'm not really comfortable with that. Two things I think people hurt with when it talks about engage. One is we're scared because we've never done it before. Okay, I, I hear that. Um, the other is that I don't know what to say. I hear that a lot. I don't know what to say. Now, I'm going to help you with those two um, myths because they're myths. They really are myths. First of all, experience, um, it is kind of a scary thing. It is kind of a scary thing. But I promise you, once you do it the first time and you have that experience, you'll want it again. If anybody in this room has ever led anybody to Christ, the first time is the scariest moment of your entire life. And, the, and, and after that moment, it's the only thing you want to get to do again. It's to lead somebody to Christ. So experience is not, not that big of a deal because as soon as you do it once, you're going to get that experience and you'll be okay with it. And the other thing about uh, what do I say, it's not important that you have all the answers. Honestly, it's, it's probably good that you don't have all the answers because you'll get into a sense of you're trying to explain all these things that really don't matter. They need to understand that they're lost and that Christ came and died for their sins and has a great and wonderful plan for their life. So you don't have to worry about, what, what if I don't say the right thing? You can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. And I'll tell you why you can't mess it up. Because the, the situation of seeing someone, um, to, the, sharing someone the gospel and them accepting Christ, it is not just about you and what you're doing. There's two people involved in that situation. You're involved in it, but God is involved as well. And let me, let me read you some verses and I'll tell you what I mean. In those same exact verses, the same exact verses that we read, and a little part past that, in Matthew 28, 28, 20, it says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, and read this with me, I am with you always. Read that again. I am with you always. When you're engaging somebody with the gospel, God is right there with you. Mark 16, 20. Mark 16, 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord, read this with me, working with them. Read it again. Working with them and confirming the word with signs following amen. So God is right there not only with you, but he's working with you. As you're saying something, God is convicting their heart. And God is working on them, okay? And you're saying something again, and God is working on them, okay? Luke 24, 49. This is a a little farther past the verse we said. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, and, and, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And this is talking about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit power in the sense that he was sending a promise. He was going to send somebody to be with you. And then finally in Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power. You shall receive power. power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Say it with me. Come upon you. When you get saved, you have the Holy Ghost that's going to help you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. So I want you to understand, the saving, it's my responsibility to engage people with the gospel. But it's God's responsibility to draw people's hearts. I'm not, I'm not there. It, I will say this. It, I've had some people that have engaged with the gospel. C- case in point, that high school friend of mine. Didn't get saved that day. 
I did my part. Okay? Now, God was drawing her, and maybe she accepted it, and maybe she didn't. I don't know. But I did my part. I was obedient to the gospel. It was put in trust with me, and I did something about it. I have to go back to this, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I missed it, but in the live situation, um, I had a, a, a co-worker that I worked with who was um, not saved, not saved whatsoever, um, told me that. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian, don't want to be a Christian, don't believe that way. Do we understand each other? Absolutely, we understand each other, okay? But a, as we were going about, and, and I worked with this individual about five years um, there was one time where we had, a, had a, a bunch of food left over from some type of event. And I made the comment, I said, man, there's so much food here. Couldn't we take this food and, and like donate it to like victim services or something of that nature? And, and, and we ended up not doing it. It kind of bothered me um, that we didn't even do it. That wasn't my decision, um, but I felt like we need to do that. And we were on a, a car ride back from that event. And this individual said, you know what? I, I may not believe your faith and I may not agree with your faith, but I can respect your faith. Because what, I, what you say with your mouth lines up with the way you act too. And, and, and I know I'm, I'm going back, and, and that's probably a cardinal sin in preaching, but I wanted you to understand that in the sense of how important it is that you, you live it out like you need to live it out. So what was our first thing? We need to, and i got to get here first, okay? We need to, there we go. You are so understanding and cooperative. We need to invite. And we need to engage. Very good, okay? Live, invite, engage. Live, invite, engage. Now, I'm not done, so don't put your stuff up. No, that's what y'all want to do. Um, I, 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 I'm going to read you something I saw on Facebook the other day. And, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that could get you in trouble, but it's not this time. It's actually what somebody posted. They're one of my friends. And, um, and I got permission that I could use what I'm about to read. So don't everybody go home and unfriend me because you think I'm going to say what you put on Facebook um, a couple weeks ago. But, but it really hit home and, and what um, kind of was a great picture uh, of what we were talking about tonight. This person writes, and I'm not going to say their name. This person writes, so after finding out that one of our customers at work is a preacher, I proceeded to ask him why he didn't tell me that when I invited him to our Easter drama. He said, I don't know, but I do want to tell you that you were very impressive. I don't remember the exact words, but it was about the excitement and the way I came off talking about my faith. He said he doesn't see that a lot. He also said, I was, I'm the first stranger that's ever just walked up to him and invited him to church. I was like, well, thanks. That's cool. But you know what? The more I think about it, it's not cool at all. It's really sad. A complete stranger has never walked up to him and mentioned with excitement or without our Savior, Jesus Christ. What about all the other people out there? The unchurched, the lost? Isn't that our jobs? That was a real wake-up call for me. What about you? When I, when I read that, I was like, that, that, that's pretty impactful. It's pretty impactful. That we, we, we interact with people on a daily basis at, at different levels. You may have a, a family member that, that you know is, is lost. They've acknowledged that fact. But there may be people that you're walking by and they're on your, they're, their kid's on your ball team. That's a great example. We're in the middle of ball right now. Have I taken the time to really engage them enough to where I can engage them with the gospel? If I'm being honest, probably not. 
Um, are there people that, that whether, whether I, I go to school with or I go to work with? Um, are there people in the sense of, and I, I've, I've told you my little, my little trick, um, I have not been as consistently as I would like to be, um, but I, what I try to do is if I'm in a line in the drive-through or at the grocery store or whatever, and there's nobody behind me, that's like my cop-out for God, that nobody's behind me, <laughs> um, I, I, I try to invite them to church and just say, hey, you get to go to church anywhere? And then I invite them to church. But we interact with people all the time, but how many times have we actually put ourselves in trust of the gospel, or, or excuse me, seen that we are put in trust of the gospel? All right, what did I give you last time, if anybody remember? What did I give you all last time? But what did I call it? I called it a... No, I called it a prize. A prize. So how many of y'all want a prize again tonight? Okay. Y'all are getting a prize. Okay. I'm holding my hand. See, it's a small prize. I'm just going to tell you. Okay. Um, I'm giving everyone a prize when you leave tonight. Uh, and let's go back to um, the beginning of the message. Every denomination of money, whether current coin or currency, has a certain phrase on it. What is that phrase? In God we trust. So here, here's the thing, and I'm going to mess with y'all, because some of y'all are going to take this to heart, and you're never going to be able to look at your money different like this again. Uh, or, or, excuse me, when you look at your money, it's going to mess you up. But I want every time you receive or give, hopefully it's the receiving side, not having to give, but um, cash or coins, I want you to think about how God put you in trust with the gospel. Our money says, in God we trust. But God says... In you I trust. Say that again. In you I trust. Say it again. In you I trust. So when you, everybody's going to get a shiny penny. It's going to be shiny. It's not going to be shiny. So here's the deal. I know some of you are going to be upset about this. Can't do much with a penny, okay? Um, but I, I want you all to, to get a penny. And I want you to every single time that you look at a dollar bill or a, any, any denomination of bill, uh, or anytime you look at a coin and you think, I want you to look at it and you know what it says, in God we trust. And I want you to tell yourself, in you I trust. God is saying, in you I trust. And be thinking about that. And, I, and everybody's going to get a penny tonight. Um, and I want you to, a couple things you can do with this. You can spend the penny because hopefully every time you see a penny again or any other time, it's going to mess with you because I hope it does. That's my prayer. It messes with you every single time that this message haunts you for the rest of your life. Um, that, that's the, that this is uh, a reminder for you. Um, or you can be one of those, if you have a keepsake area or whatever, put it somewhere when you see it, think about it. In you I trust, in you I trust. God says in you I trust. Or I've even had some people say before that maybe put it like I, every time I have my cell phone in my pocket or I have my keys in my pocket. Add this penny to whatever goes in your pockets every single day. And every time you reach for your, reach for your, your, your cell phone or you reach for your um, keys and you, and you feel that in your pocket and you think, you know what? God says, in you I trust. And, 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 and let me say this. How would our lives, how would we operate our lives differently if on our minds constantly all the time was, God, trust me. He put in trust the gospel to me. It's my responsibility to share the gospel, to live the gospel, to invite the gospel, to engage the gospel, to live it, to invite, to engage, to live, to invite, to engage. How would our world be different? How would our church be different? How would our community be different? Some people ask, you know, how, how big is your church going to get? I don't know. 
It's going to keep, it, we're going to keep going after it until every single person in Coleman County, and hopefully at some point every single person in the world, knows Jesus Christ and knows the gospel. There's 80,000 people. That's what the number is. The census says that. I, I didn't fill out my census stuff, so not, that's, that's 80,004, okay, <laughs> um, that we have. So there's probably over 100,000 people in Coleman County, over 100,000 people in Coleman County. I'm my, I want to reach all 100,000 of them. We got people that come from Blunt County to this church. I want to read all, reach all of Blunt County. We got people that come from Morgan County. I want to reach all of Morgan County. We got people, I don't think anybody comes from Marshall. I know some people come from Winston. If you're from Marshall, let me know. That's awesome. Um, there's probably people that come from Jefferson County. Okay? There are people, and I want to reach every single one of those areas with the gospel. And not just in the sense of, okay, I'm going to live it out and invite, which is a come and see. I want to be a go and tell kind of Christian. I want to go out there and I want to preach the gospel. I was reading a, a, a book. No, it's a great book, great book. Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Simbel. It's an old book. Um, but I read a story in there. It was kind of like this verse. It bothered me and I couldn't shake it. Um, it's a story about D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody. Um, he, if, you, if you've never heard the name D.L. Moody, um, you've probably heard the names Charles Spurgeon or Charles Finney. Um, a great example of this would be a modern, or excuse me, a 1800s Billy Graham. Great evangelist, great pastor, great man of God. Saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people saved. Dwight L. Moody. And in this book, it talks about a story and an experience he had, and it just bothered me. It said, Dwight L. Moody was haunted all his life by an occasion when he felt he got too clever in presenting the gospel. Six years before he died, he recounted what had happened back in Chicago in the fall of 1871. I, I intended to devote six nights to Christ's life. I had spent four Sunday nights on the subject and had followed him from the manger along through his life to his arrest and trial. And on the fifth Sunday night, October 8th, I was preaching to the largest congregation I had ever had in Chicago, quite elated with my success. My text was, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ. That night I made one of the biggest mistakes of my life. After preaching with all the power that God has given me, urging Christ upon the people, I closed the sermon and said, I wish you would take this text home with you and turn it over in your minds during the week. And next, next Sunday we will come to Calvary and the cross and we will decide what we will do with Jesus of Nazareth. Just as that moment of fire bell rang nearby, Moody quickly dismissed the meeting and sent the people out of the building. It was the beginning of the great Chicago fire, which over the next 27 hours left 300 dead, 900,000 homeless, and a great city in ashes. Obviously, Moody never got to finish his sermon series. And he continued, I've never seen that congregation since. I've had hard work to keep back the tears today. 22 years have passed away, and I will never meet those people again until I meet them in another world. But I want to tell you one lesson I learned that night, which I've never forgotten, and that is when I preach to press Christ upon the people then and there and try to bring them to a decision on the spot. I'd rather have my right hand cut off than give an audience a week to decide what to do with Jesus. That, 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 that bothered me. That, that rocked me a little bit, to be honest with you. 
Um, Every single message I've, 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 I've read that book probably about three months ago. And I've had an opportunity to, to preach in Technotown and an opportunity to preach in TSM and had an opportunity to, to preach up here uh, about a month and a half ago or so, whatever it was. Every time, every time I get an opportunity to preach from here forward, I'm going to talk about the gospel. And I'm going to give people an opportunity to engage and to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And, and, and it's not just about the, the person here and the conviction I have here in the sense of every time, whether it be Technotown, TSM, wherever God tells me to, to preach and, and gives me opportunities to preach. I'm bothered by that because I, I interact with people every single day of the week. And I don't know what the next tragedy is that they may have to face. The person that came to church here doesn't come in here anymore. The person that came to church here this morning Died in a motorcycle wreck. Some of y'all may have heard about it. Now, he knew Christ, and, that, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But who's the person that maybe today is their last day? And they may, be, they, they may not be here in tomorrow. And it's our, it's our responsibility. We've been put in trust with the gospel. And we need to live it. We need to invite it, invite them to it. And we need to engage them with it. In closing, and I told you that every single time I preach a message, I'm going to give people an opportunity, or I want at least people to know. And if you're not, if you're in this place, in, in this room, in a room this size, there's somebody that you know. Maybe there's, you've been coming to this church, so you've heard the gospel. You know it's real. Or, let me say this. You, you've seen other people signify that it's real. But maybe for whatever reason, it's not become real to you because you haven't taken the step of faith and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I want you to know that Jesus came to this earth, died for your sins, the forgiveness of your sins, died on a cross, was died, buried, rose again, so that one day, every one of us would have the opportunity to accept him, to be with him in heaven, and, and, and I'll say this, it's not just, hey, get saved because that's a ticket out of hell and a ticket into heaven. If that was all that it was, then, then I, I would want Jesus to go ahead and take me home now. Um, because honestly, the greatest, um, the most fulfillment um, of my life has been post-salvation. Christ has turned my life upside down. He, he has changed me into the, into the person that... I, I, not only that I, I, I wanted to be, but even that I didn't think I was possible, I could be. And it's because of what Christ did in my life. He's given me overwhelming joy. He's given me overwhelming peace. He, in the darkest hours, Christ has been there right beside me. And, and there are so many, yes, if you accept Christ, you did get to go to heaven. That is important. But I want you to understand that, that Christ has a plan and a purpose for those that are saved. And the happiest you'll ever be is in the center of God's will. And God has a plan and purpose. But the first plan and purpose he has for your life is for you to accept him. And to come to know him as your savior. So we're not going to do an altar call tonight. I, I don't feel led to do that. But if you're that individual that you know, you know that, that the time has come. It's, I'm done putting it off. 
The time has come. I want to accept Christ because, because he, is my, he, is, he is my Savior. He forgave me for my sins. But not only that, that he can become your Lord and he can change your life and send you in a direction that you never thought possible. Your, your life may be in shambles right now. God can pick up the broken pieces and put you back together. I promise you that. I promise you that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this message, Lord. Lord, this is a tough one. Um, because, Lord, I know that this scenario, Lord, where I'm, I struggle. It's a daily struggle. Um, it's a daily, um, I have to remind myself how important it is to tell people about you. And to, and to do all three, Lord. Uh, not just invite them to church and not just talk about the gospel, but to live it. Where people see see me and see my good works, but ultimately they glorify you because of it. And Lord, I pray right now that this would be a message that would not just fall on deaf ears, would not just be a message that, um, that they heard and, and went back and, you know, hope preachers back next week. Lord, I want this to be a, a, a moment in time where they can look back and say, that was the moment where I decided to truly understand that I, the gospel you put in trust of me, and it's my responsibility to get the gospel out. Lord, part of that verse, we didn't even talk about it. It talks about not, not pleasing men, but pleasing you. And Lord, how, how much we get focused on what everybody else thinks about us or about our actions or whatever. But Lord, if we're bold enough to say we're Christians, we should be bold enough to tell them about you. Amen. So Lord I, Lord, I just pray right now that you would just move in a great way. Lord, convict our hearts. And every time we have an opportunity, Lord God, bring back to our memory what you say in you, in you I trust. So as our head bows, our eyes closed, if you'll just um, go ahead and, and, and join me at the altar. This is our time where we'll, um, we'll, we'll pray for our building. We'll pray for um, the needs of, of, of others. Um, uh, we had several people that are in the hospital um, and we need to, to pray for them. Obviously, we need to pray for that family that had the, um, the, the, had the motorcycle wreck um, and, and just the, the pain that they're experiencing right now and the grieving they're going through. <clears throat> Lord, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the fact that we can come to this altar, Lord God, and we can bring our petitions to you. Lord, you are um, 